For holiday dinners, when your guests like both the idea of plant-based and the taste of animal protein, there is a way to work around it. Vegan options may still need to be offered because this workaround is serving beef from cattle that were raised on a plant-based diet. And for the most part, the plants the cattle consumed are largely cellulose, such as grass, that people can't digest. But when converted by ruminant animals, it can be both nutritious and delicious. And since overeating through the holidays is often followed by going back to the gym, some animal protein can come in handy. Grass-fed ribeyes and fillets are on the menu at our house, so for this episode of Farm to Table Talk, we return to a podcast from last winter with East Sacramento butcher Eric Vellman, V. Miller Meats, who provided the conversion and connection between our holiday table and the plant-based pastures where Christmas Eve dinner began. I've never had a conversation that I've walked away from. We'd have an occasional person to be like, oh, I don't eat beef. And you could say, oh, why is that? And then that, that opens that conversation. And you can, you can say, you know, well, this is, you know, basically a, you know, carbon neutral environment or, you know, and then you start talking about the carbon farming and, and all that stuff. And they're kind of like, oh, well, that, that does make sense. When you raise cattle on a big enough, Span of land and you're managing the pasture, there is a very positive environmental impact. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Lately, I've been talking to more people that were saying that they can't find butchers, that the challenge that they see for having meat available, especially when you start looking at more local meat processing, uh, more small farms that are getting into pasture raised, this and that, uh, the obstacle they run into is nobody knows how to cut meat. Well, we're fortunate uh, in Sacramento, we've got a butcher shop, and I'm glad to have uh, Eric Belbin Miller. Uh, Eric, thank you for coming on Farm to Table Talk. And Eric, you have a butcher shop. And I think I have people listening to this podcast that say, boy, I wish I had a butcher shop near me because it, it's, they're hard to find. They're, 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 they're somewhat a rare breed. How is it that you come to be able to grace us with a butcher shop here in Sacramento? Uh, a lot of a lot of teamwork, <laughs> actually. Um, well, just we we've been open for about a little over well, about six and a half years now, and it all really started with uh, me working in restaurants for for an ever and ever, and and a lot of the people I've worked with and for you've already had on the podcast and Patrick Mulvaney and and the like, and they coming up as a a cook or a chef, I everybody I worked with. Uh, Patrick Mulvaney, be it Gary Danko, be it Jan Birnbaum, anybody, uh, 
really stress the the you know the, the quality of the ingredients. It's this is nothing new. This is just what it is. But it was always strange to me that we would go out and we would seek like the best carrots and the best tomatoes in season and whatever it was. But when when it came to proteins, animal proteins in particular, it, it was just kind of like, oh, we'll get them from over here. Or we'll get them over here. There, there was less thought, I, I feel, um, behind that and a lot more of like, oh, well, how cheap can we get that? Um, so when I was just kind of I was teaching at a, at a uh, giant culinary school and um, decided that that wasn't my path anymore. And I went, I took a trip to New York and there's little butcher, there's still little butcher shops up and down all over the city. And just in meeting uh, guys in different butcher shops, I was like, wow, these guys are really nice, really cool. They were uh, forthcoming with all any kind of information. I pestered them all for hours, just asking multiple multitudes of questions. And I was just thinking this could be really cool because there's a lot of great ranches and just I mean, within a hundred miles in particular of Sacramento. And I thought it was almost shameful that in order to gain access to local meats, it's kind of going to, and, and no disrespect for however anybody else is having to do this, but to, to go to, uh, to the farmer's market, you know, like under the, when it was under the bridge and you have all this glorious produce everywhere. And then there's the guy tucked back in the corner with like two coolers of you know off cuts of beef or whatever and you're just like wow this meat's great but there's no place for them to showcase it and um i just i came home and just got some pretty good eye rolls from my wife and i'm like we're gonna open a butcher shop she was like what and you know just in, in making contact with you know other butchers in in san francisco and, you know, around the country, there's just kind of a little tribe of us, I guess, or a little group of us. And, you know, that you start to find ranches that you want to work with. And then you kind of, with us, it was, for me, it was very important, you know, the animal uh, welfare aspect of, of what we we're looking at. 100% pasture raised, um, you know, just doing as natural as you can. Number one, you get a great, great product. And number two, it's less impact on the environment and all, you know, kind of checking all the, all the boxes of, of like, let's bring this into town. And so we did that. So, you know, I, it's an interesting time too, because as, as you know, there is a push to get more local processing so that there's slaughter facilities <laughs> So that these pasture-raised uh, chickens and, I mean, poultry and pigs and, and lambs and cattle and everything that are being pasture-raised, that even the larger farms, the larger ranches, are looking to try to have some process locally rather than being dependent on going to one of the three or four big national, you know, the beef slaughters or pork slaughters and so, and so forth. Um, so it's an interesting time that there'll start being some more local meat available, maybe than the, even there is now. But I'm, I'm sure that the next challenge for them is how they go retail, because they can be processing the, the beef, but ne necessarily they're not going to be butchers that are going to have a facing to the consumers um, as as we see these pop up around the country. Yeah, it, I think it's it's challenging because there there's no there's no I mean there's a couple of schools 
um, throughout the country that still do whole animal butchery. Um, and most of, most of those schools are still even like, uh, the program at UC Davis, which I've met a, a few people that have gone through that program. Um, they teach whole animal butchery and, you know, the, the whole slaughter process and all that, but to, to, you know, just to, to narrow it down a little bit, to become a retail butcher is a little bit different because most of those schools are aiming them towards going, those students, <laughs> aiming those students towards going towards uh, working in like a big processor, you know, being a process plant manager and moving, you know, thousands ahead of cattle a day or processing thousands ahead of cattle a day and, you know, being, being, becoming a cog in that machine. Whereas uh, with our, our ranches, like the, the processing is, is the, the number one concern. It's the, it's the weakest link in the chain for sure. Let's, let's work backwards because sure. you decided to be a butcher and you, so once you decide to do it, you're going to get the supply and we're going to talk about the supply of where it's coming from, how it's grown and so forth. But you also have to pick a place that you think you're going to be able to develop a consumer base. I mean, yeah. it takes a real leap, doesn't it? A faith to say, okay, I'm going to rent this, um, this retail space and you've got, it's right on a, your place is on J street kind of in the middle East Sacramento, but right in the center of Sacramento. So you must have done a little research and decide that there's, there's people in the area that might frequent a butcher shop. Is that true? Was that part of the, of yeah. the choice? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, I think we went some formal, some uh, less traditional methods of doing it. Um, uh, through, we did a little bit of market research. I paid, paid a woman, I don't even know how much it was, you know, a few hundred dollars to run some, you know, just like basic uh, marketing questions past, you know, uh, you know, 200 people and, you know, would you shop at a butcher shop? How much would you spend at a butcher shop? Those kinds of random things. And then how uh, we, we kind of came into ESAC. So that kind of narrowed it down the search for the, for the building that kind of narrowed it down to like East Sacramento, where generally the people in this, in this area were a lot seem to be a little bit more conscious of where their food was coming from. They're a little more apt to shop at farmer's markets versus a grocery store mm -hmm. uh, for, for specialty items anyways. And when we, when we kind of narrowed it down to ESAC, then we took some of that data a little bit further. And where I was coming from was like, I, I was hedging my bets that people were more in tune to eating, you know, grass fed, grass finished beef and naturally raised pork and humanely raised poultry. And, you know, those are the things. And I thought if originally I thought that was going to be like number one, two, and three, like grass fed number two, you know, down, down the road. And I was, I was wrong by it, by a large margin. It was local. Uh, the winner was, you know, is this stuff local? And that seemed to be the biggest driving factor. And so that didn't really, it didn't widen or narrow my search for ranches to use because the, just by, by luck, all of the ranchers that I'd met and I knew their product, and I'd eaten their products um, just happened to be pretty close. So that's interesting because, you know, one of the definitions of what is marketing 
is having having what sells, uh, you know, because advertising is often, well, I got this. Like in your case, you could have started with the assumption I've got, you know, I've got grass fed this and that and just promote the heck out of it. But uh, but what you're describing to me is what I, is more of classic marketing is, uh, well, what does the consumer want? And that's interesting that 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 local came up so much. Now, how did how far away can you be and still be local for your supply? Well, um, I consulted with a, another guy uh, that owns a, a similar butcher shop, owned a similar butcher shop in Berkeley. And they were, when they started, they said 100 miles. Mm-hmm. Everything they wanted was within 100 miles. And we were lucky because Stemple Creek is not quite 100 miles away. And Yanaseko is not quite 100 miles away. Right. Uh, right. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, but anymore, um, we've kind of, we've, we've branched out a little bit. Um, like my chickens come from Santa Cruz and I'm not, a, I'm not, uh, I used to be pretty steadfast in it. And anymore, I'm like, you know, if it's, if it's a great California product and it's, you know, within a, you know, half a day's drive, we're mm-hmm. probably good. But also with these smaller, these smaller farms that were, were limited to using that half a day drive, uh, or a couple hours really because um, these, these small ranches don't have a whole lot of in- infrastructure to, to ship to us or to truck to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so with like our chickens, it gets piggybacked on our, on our beef shipment um, every week uh, because the, the, the ranches just don't have, you know, they don't have their own fleet of trucks that can come bring stuff every day or, you know, a couple of times a week or anything like that. I'm so, wondering, Eric, when you first opened the doors and you had you you had pork and lamb and beef and chicken um, in in those cases, and the people were coming in for the first time, how often did they want to know something about how that meat was grown, or who was the farmer or the rancher? Yeah, I would the the first honestly the first year was. I would say we probably would spend 20 minutes with every customer, uh, sometimes longer, sometimes less. And it was really, it was really an, uh, like a, a re-education of, uh, sorry about that. Um, it was really kind of almost like not re-educating people, but like bringing it back to real for a lot of people that this is, you know, these, these are raised on farms and they're not, we're not just putting boxes out of the back. And so it was, you know, talking about, you know, how the animals are raised and beef in particular, uh, how, um, like the, you know, how the beef is raised and the difference between grass fed beef that you see in the grocery store and grass finished beef that you see here at the, at the, at the shop. And, you know, just kind of defining a lot of the USDA terms and, you know, just reassuring the customer that this is like, this is the stuff that everybody's been reading about for the last few years. Like, hey, you should eat this. It's better for you. It's better for the environment. It's better for, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. And it was really just kind of reassuring people that that's what this was and this what, that's what this is, as well as going into... Um, you know, some people were poking around for a little more, uh, you know, what, well, what are the health benefits? So we, you know, have to like start, you know, teaching, you know, about omega-3s and, <laughs> and, and healthy lipids and all, the, all this stuff that, 
you know, as a, as a butcher, you're, you're like, well, you got to go home and do your homework sometimes and, and figure that out. But for the first couple of years, I think we, we did, we still do. I think we, we spend a lot more time with our customers uh, than, than most places do. So that's, that's really interesting. And up to 20 minutes of explanation. I suppose the people that come there all the time, they don't need to hear the story every time they come in because they've already heard the story a few times, I suppose. And, you know, so you, so I would think you wouldn't need to take as much time with them because they, they come in every week and buy something. Yeah. It, 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 it peters out. Right. And then, so I think, I think there's a, a marketing term for it again, but uh, you know, as your, as your customers become better customers, they start telling, telling their friends. But so a lot of our customers over the last several years have become our biggest advocates to their friends. Where they're, you know, given the, uh, we'll, we'll call it the spiel, you know, um, th- they'll tell their friends like, "This tastes great," and this is where this is from, and this is how it's raised, and you know, so when the cu- the the new customer or their friend or the referral or whatever it's called will come in, they'll already have a little bit of an insight, and then we can just kind of, you know, put the put the frosting on the cake, as it were. Yeah. Well, then let's go back to the farm or the ranch and let's yeah. just use an example and let's take, uh, let's take them all. Let's go, let's do some uh, beef, lamb, pork, chicken. And I don't know what else you got any other. Uh, duck. Um, I think that's, that's really where we kind of. So give, kind, give us an we, example, we say, for example say for an example that of the beef that, that might be one of not the only source that you might have, but give us an example of a, of a ranch or a feedlot or something that is supplying the beef for you right now and, and what what those cattle are like. Yeah. So for, first and foremost, not to uh, put too fine to find nothing, nothing we have at the shop is raised on feedlots. We don't go anywhere near them. As soon as I said uh, that, I knew you were going to correct me. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Um, so probably the, I, I just have a great relationship with all my ranchers. Um, I don't really like to work with people. Like it's just like the, the team of people that I have working here at the shop with me. Um, I don't really like to work with people. I don't want to hang out with. Sure. Um, so just, I met, uh, geez, it was probably eight years ago now. Um, Lauren, uh, Lauren Poncha at Steppel Creek and he's a rancher owner. Um, he's been, they've been ranching on that. His family has been ranching that land forever. And I knew I wanted to do grass-fed and grass-finished beef uh, because, like, uh, the definition of grass-fed beef is really loose. I just, I knew I wanted it to be true. Sure. Um, no feedlot. And so we, I met Lauren at a, at a, like, a butcher's conference, yeah, about eight years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, this beef is spectacular. And just and cutting it and tasting it, I was like, this is it. This is the stuff. And went out to the ranch. And I was just like, this is exactly what I think, if I were a customer, this is what I would think this cattle ranch looks like. It's, you know, lush green, most, most years, lush green uh, cattle, you know, happy cows. It doesn't, no, no scent, whatever, whatsoever, other than like, you know, air and grass. It doesn't smell at all. Um, cows, like you walk. What was the breed? Uh, those guys are all Angus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which, 
you know, I, 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 this isn't my, my field of expertise, but from what I understand, from what I, you know, understand from Lauren and a couple of other guys that like Angus basically fattens better on, on grass than any of the, any of the other guys. Yeah. Um, so just working with Stemple, uh, has, has, you know, it's been really good because I've, I've learned a lot and I think, you know, Lauren, uh, he's, he's a really good idea man and I'm, I think I'm pretty good at ideas too, but we, we, we have a good enough relationship that I can bounce out ideas off of him and he can bounce them off of me. Like, will this work? How do you like this? And, so, um, so you go through that. I'm going to take the beef and follow it through though. So, yeah. so where does the, where do the cattle get slaughtered? Cause you, you need um, working with a carcass. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing. Most processing houses generally, uh, will cut immediately take that carcass down into like what they call like box cuts or service cuts. Uh, like they would deliver to a grocery store where they just, you know, will chop steaks out of it and then put it in the cases and, and be done with it. Um, so when I, when I, when I told Lauren what I was doing, he was like, you're going to take carcass every week. I was like, yeah. He's like, well, we have a few people that do that and this is how this works. And so, uh, there's a, uh, the processor that we use is up in, um, I forget the I forget the little city of it is uh, much further north. Um, it's called Redwood, and they do all of our uh, all of our beef slaughter and process. So we get the they basically truck the beef from uh, Stipple Creek, Stipple Creek, sorry, in Tamales up there. It gets processed and then uh, it hangs for about a week, and then it comes to me. In uh, it's cut into cut into uh, cut into quarters, or oh, okay. sorry, it's cut into eighths. So each beef gets cut into eight pieces. Um, traditionally, it would come in at a quarters, uh, but I'm I'm getting old and I don't like lifting giant, awkward, you know, 125, 200 pound quarters. So are they chilled? Did they cry back or anything? No, it's it it it's chilled. Yeah. So the yeah. part of the slaughter process, they get them cold, they bleed them out, and then they get them as cold as possible, as fast as possible. Okay. So and then and, they, and they deliver them to you, and then you you break them. We're going we're going to talk about yeah. breaking them, uh, cool. getting into the cuts. Uh, but let's let's do pigs next. Yeah, um, Rancho Yanaseco, very similar story. Uh, it was the same conference. I was just I was you know, writing a business plan for the butcher shop and ran into Rancho Yanaseco, uh, Charlie and Jamie up there. I think you, you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually where I met you. I think it was at bacon fest a few years ago, um, with those guys and same deal. They were like, I was just telling Charlie what I wanted to do. And he's like, you know, you should come up to the ranch. And I was like, okay. So I'd, I'd already been to a few ranches and I got out to Yanaseko and I was like, all right, you know, pretty, pretty well established pig farm. And then we went out to like the duck estuaries and all that stuff. And we sat down, ate dinner. I just kind of sprayed my uh, business plan at them. And they were like, yeah, this, this is cool. What, what do you want to do? And um, I just, I, I just, I had a really good feeling about working with those guys and, you know, they're completely on the up and up and everything, you know, is very transparent um, and, you know, sustainable and it just, it, it just translates into really, really great pork. Um, but they, you know, very, very similar, you know, they raise the pigs, they get trucked into Orland, they, they get processed and then they get brought to me also. Um, 
also they come in to me whole, which is you get, you get the whole the, car- you get the whole pig carcass. Yeah, uh, the only thing uh, we found after uh, it only took a couple of weeks that uh, we can use that we can use that pig from basically tail all the way till you know up to the head every week. We there's no leftovers; it's not a problem. But the uh, like with the things like the head, um, there's only so much you can do with them, and especially right when we started, people didn't really trust how. Oh, I don't think it wasn't, it wasn't trust. It was just kind of like, you know, we, we, we needed to start small. So we didn't want to start, you know, with, you know, uh, French style pork pig head torsion and things like that. We want to, uh, do that. So, you know, we turned that, we would turn the heads into pozole and, 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 you know, other, other goodies to eat. But what we really ended up, you know, working with Yanisiko and they were like, Oh, well we have someone else that wants to buy the heads for whatever, whatever they wanted them for. So our pigs come headless and, you know, about once a month, I guess we probably get a couple of heads just to make some, you know, soup or whatever with. So we try to use the whole thing. So how about the lambs? Uh, we, we predominantly used, uh, uh, Amy ranch in Dixon for uh, probably the last four years exclusively. Um, we used to use Skylark Ranch and then uh, they moved up towards Mount Shasta, which is just a little too far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Martin and his girls, just it's consistent. And that's one of the biggest um, draws for, for me as a, as a, you know, as a butcher, but as a, uh, a business owner too, is just having these animals come in and they're consistent, you know, consistent size, consistent fat cover, consistent quality, that's really the best, yeah. the best of it all. That's why we use these guys. They show me. Um, uh, and then chicken. I, I, yeah, I saw the uh, lambs out there before. We, we could do a whole other podcast on chicken if you if you ever want. But we probably went through, I think we counted 12 different chicken operations. Wow. It seemed like chicken was just kind of like a hobby farmer kind of thing mm-hmm. where we would get you know, somebody bring us samples and we're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. And then the chickens would come in, they're like two and a half pounds, but some of them are five pounds. And, you know, we ordered 24 birds and 12 cubs, but six of them are frozen. <laughs> it's just been horrific really. Um, and then we, we met, I don't even know how I bumped into him. Honestly, uh, this guy named Caleb, that is, uh, he's the rancher at, uh, Fogline Farms in Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. and my family goes down to Santa Cruz every uh, uh, late. Is it Labor Day? I guess it's Labor Day. Or is it Labor Day? I don't know. Whichever one's in the fall or end of summer. And uh, I, I'd heard about his ranch, and I called him, and I was like, I kind of want to come check out your ranch because I'd like to do business with you. But it's kind of a my thing that I go meet all the people that I deal with, and I go to the ranch and I make sure it's legit. You know. And he was like, oh, okay, well, you just go here. And then basically you just, you know, kind of leave the industrial part of Santa Cruz and, and we're right there on the right-hand side with a view of the beach. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Right. And he wasn't kidding. Um, it's just on the opposite side of uh, whatever highway that's called. And, you know, it's rolling green chickens everywhere. And uh, he's got like the mobile coops and stuff that you see on TV. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, it's just doing it right. And that it's the best tasting chicken I've ever had in my life. You, you know, um, you're making me hungry just talking about it because I've, <laughs> I've, I'm familiar with most of these that you're mentioning. And I've been, I mentioned earlier, I've been out to Amy's and had a tour and actually did a, did a podcast with them at one time too. And so, so you've got the end product, you've got the retail, you've got the consumers. How do you get, how do you get staff trained to be the butchers that you need to? Because if you're getting these in, that's, that's quite an art to be able to take those those chunks of, of beef and the, and the whole carcass of hog and everything and turn them into retail cuts that you can put in the case for your customers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird animal. So I am, I, I honestly, I count my blessings constantly. I have, and hopefully they'll listen to this and, and, you know, know that this is true, but I've been very, very, very lucky. Um, when we first opened, I, we, we opened with one butcher that she, uh, great butcher, but she was trained at the UC Davis meat lab. So we both kind of learned together how to cut for the retail case, but it's, it's ever evolving. Um, what do your customers want? How do they want to cut? So even when we bring in butchers from that have worked in other butcher shops in different regions, like just, uh, San Francisco, for instance, um, like the way butcher cases are set up in San Francisco or Los Angeles or Massachusetts or wherever are, are always different. It's just really where you kind of have to know your customer and know what they're looking for or hope. And then in some cases you kind of direct them into what they're looking for. Cause that's what you have. Um, but my, uh, so Cindy was my first butcher. And then um, I had another butcher named Christian that was, uh, that had worked for one of my mentors in San Francisco. And he just kind of, uh, he kind of showed up one afternoon. It was like, I'm looking for a job. So timing's perfect. Right. And so brought him in. Um, I have another butcher, uh, who actually runs a shop while I'm not here. His name's Eric. His name's also Eric, but he, uh, uh, great story. He, I was the, the first couple of years at the butcher shop, I'm not going to lie. Um, were not easy. They uh, financially challenging, personally challenging, emotionally challenging, you know, the whole nine. And I was trying to do everything myself. Like I was trying to cut by myself. I was trying to run the business by myself. I was trying to do all the prepared foods by myself. And so I, I forgot who it was. So I think it was like my, my, my mother-in-law or my wife or someone said, you know, maybe we should bring in a consultant. And so long story short, we brought in a consultant and she just said, well, you basically need to do every, you know, find somebody to help you do everything you need to do. Can I have my $750, please? <laughs> I was like, okay. And she, she was like, well, I have a guy at the shop that I work at or managed. I think she managed it or owned it. And she said, well, I have this guy that uh, I work with. He's amazing. He does all the stuff you do. You just need to find one of your, a guy just like that. It's, but they're, they're, uh, this is where the nickname comes from, but they're, they're unicorns. You, you're never going to find one, but I have one kind of like rubbing my nose in it a little bit. And then I think it was about two weeks after this woman left the shop. And I'm like, where I got to find this guy. There's got to be somebody. And my phone rings and this guy's like, yeah, I, I work at this butcher shop and I do all this stuff. And I was like, huh. He's like, I'm moving to back to Sacramento. I was like, interesting. It brought him in and we hit it off. 
really great guy. And uh, I was like, let me just ask you one question. Did they call you the unicorn? And he was like, yeah. I was like, okay, you're hired. And so Eric's been with me for uh, almost six years, I think. And uh, so he just, you know, he's, he's been a, a great addition to the shop. And then I have uh, another guy that we were, we needed a guy that just kind of wanted to do, uh, not wanted to, but like one had, had a feel for whole animal and kind of feel for what we were doing, but also was one hell of a cook, um, to, to handle our prepared foods, um, stuff. And this guy, Brandon just kind of dropped in and he'd been working at, uh, at Camino in Oakland for, I, I think a couple of years. So he was really, and is very good at just kind of looking and seeing what we have left. And he's like, Oh, this is what dinner is this week, or this is what I can make out of this. Um, and then I have, uh, another, uh, two other, two other guys. Uh, I have this other guy V who we've trained. He started washing dishes with us. I don't know, four years ago. And he has just be, he's becoming a hell of a butcher. Um, he's just really invested in it. And he does, you know, like all of our bacon and a lot of our uh, smoked processing and all, all that kind of stuff. And then I've uh, my head butcher now uh, is a guy named Nick, who applied for a job, and we were trying to figure it out a couple of weeks ago that it was like friend of a friend of his brother, I think, worked in a restaurant with somebody else that knew something about the shop, and Nick was cut had been cutting meats at Whole Foods for quite a while. And just came in and applied in the, uh, in, I think he applied in February of early February of 2019. Um, where, I mean, the shop was plugging along. We we're like, this guy's good. He's like, I want to learn how to do this. We're like, cool, we'll bring you in. You will train you. And so he quit his other job. We had a start date for him. And I think it was within one or two days of Nick's starting was the beginning of the lockdowns. And the, with the meat shortage, between the meat shortages, uh, scarcities, people kind of freaking out about where their food was going to come from, the, the volume in the shop, I think for those first, that first month in particular was, I don't know, probably, I don't know, 50% more. Yeah. Some days it was 100% more. Some days it was 200% more. And we just, poured, we just threw this poor guy to the wolves. <laughs> it's just like just he's like well what do you want to do here i'm like just shut up and cut just go and you know not a lot of training but he hung in there and to be honest i mean he's he's one of the best i've seen anymore so uh, so, so really i mean it's one of the silver linings of, the, of a pandemic if you will i mean it, the change in habits people discovered you that we're wanting to get out and buy meat did do you feel like now that we've gone through a few years of it do you have you been able to keep those people i mean do you yeah. find people that 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 discover you because of the pandemic was starting but stuck with you uh, after all got used to buying meat from you making a special a special trip they're still going to grocery stores for some stuff but coming to you for meat yeah i think a lot of a lot of our new people um came back because of the pandemic they were they would shop for us like for specialty meals, like, oh, we're having, you know, uh, we're having the Wassons for dinner last night. Let's go to B. Miller and get something really nice. Yeah. 
it wasn't that everyday shopping. And when they figured out that, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the taste. Once you kind of get a taste for, for the quality, um, everything else doesn't taste as good. And, you know, I think, so the, they had the taste for it. The, you know, supporting local, I think that was a, that was part of it too. Mm-hmm. Part of the, the boom. And then I think thirdly, uh, we were open, we were here, we were still really friendly. We were very accommodating. We were, uh, I think, uh, uh, sometimes a face of comfort, you are like, Oh, we'll go down to the butcher shop. They'll, they'll be there for us. And we were there and we, you know, by and large had, you know, because of a, a very short food chain, we had, we were pretty well supplied. You know, there, there were times we got low. It just happens. Um, but I think people got used to used to shopping at a butcher shop, and and knowing that you know it was a, it was a it was a great place to to come in, and when people kind of get a taste for that, and then they get it became a little bit more of a routine. You know, we'll we'll go pick up all of our other stuff, but then we're going to go to the butcher shop. You know, Eric, I wonder when you look down the road, you have to be running into people when you tell them that you're a butcher. Certainly, you've run into some people that are vegans themselves, and they yeah. they're kind of against the idea of meat consumption, and 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 many of those folks feel like that trend is going to continue. And there are some people that are concerned and believe that they need to cut back on beef consumption in particular because they're worried about about climate change. Uh, when you see things like that and people are bringing that up and saying they know more people that have, have gone vegetarian for one reason or another, does that give you any pause? Does it give you concern that you um, that down the road, whether or not this is going to remain viable or not? No, um, it really doesn't because I the way our animals are treated and they're raised and the respect that the ranchers have for the land. Um, just take Steppel Creek, uh, for example, there, uh, it's a carbon, basically the, the operation is becomes a carbon neutral or carbon negative environment, meaning, um, the way they're ranching and the way the cattle is managed and the pastures are managed and the grass is managed. Um, they're actually, I always get this backwards, but they're actually, uh, sequestering more carbon out of the air than they're putting back in. Sure. Um, when you. Uh, raise cattle on a big enough span of land and you're managing the pasture, there is a very positive environmental impact. It's when we get to more of like a feedlot kind of operation, the industrial operation, and then all these animals are quarantined on a small piece of land. That's when, that's when all the bad stuff happens. That's, you know, when you've got waste problems and air problems and, you know, animal health problems, um, you know, when these animals are just walking around eating grass, you know, for, for the span of their life, there's very little health issues. There's very little reason for antibiotics and medications and, and vaccinations and all those kinds of things. Um, so it's it's a cleaner cleaner way. So I I see I don't see that ever like you know the Beyond Meat or anything like that's ever really going to. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna you know probably change some people's minds, but even you know meeting uh, people that don't eat meat or or against it, I've never been able 
or I've never had a conversation that I've walked away from that when I've explained like, this is how we do it, which is totally different. That person didn't, uh, for, for what, what, whatever reason, didn't walk away and kind of have a little bit, little bit better of an understanding of sure. like, doing it this way is, is kind of the opposite of what you think it is. I'm wondering, Eric, in a typical week of all the people coming and going and coming in and getting cuts of meat and so forth, uh, in, a, in a week, do you, do you ever have anybody bring up climate? Does it, does it surface? Um, I, not very often. Uh, I think from time to time, but it's not, it's not why they're, they're not coming in to discuss that. But we can all, you know, they can say, we'll have... On occasion, I guess, Roger, we, uh, we'd have an occasional person to be like, oh, I don't eat beef. And you could say, oh, why is that? And then that, uh, that opens that conversation. And you can, you can say, you know, well, this is, you know, basically a, you know, a carbon neutral environment or, you know, and then you start talking about the carbon farming and, and all that stuff. And they're kind of like, oh, well, that, that does make sense. So, you know, it's, it's that education that we, you know, kind of, kind of do as much as we can, as much as we need to. Well, and then if they, if, I mean, you could always say, well, then here's some lamb and pork, you know, or I suppose yeah. the direction or the chicken too. That's yeah. it. That's One other question that's, that's sort of on people's mind lately, uh, California passed proposition 12 and because yeah. of prop 12, it was going to require, and it's been postponed for a little while while they're working yeah. on the final regulations. But there was a lot of conversation that maybe there wouldn't be bacon available, for example, in, in California because of this uh, proposition, which said that there had to be certain minimal space, especially for pregnant sows uh, in these kind of confinement operations and, and a lot of the uh, pork operations. And so they were saying, gee, what's California going to do? I mean, interesting for you, because I suspect uh, that, I mean, where you're sourcing your pork, probably your chickens too, uh, wouldn't have any effect of anything. They're all easily within what these restrictions are. But I, I wonder what you thought about that, watching that and hearing people kind of wondering about what the impact might be of something like that. Well, yeah, I had a, a couple of, when I first heard about it, I was kind of licking my chops a little bit. And you see the story in the newspaper, like bacon shortage coming. And I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> this is good. But we've always worked with farms and ranches that do it the right way. What I think is the right way. Mm -hmm. um, Prop 12 came out and it just basically solidified my business model to say this is the right way. Um, California as a, as a leader in, in these kinds of things want, you know, would like to see um, all the animals treated this way. Um, our, our pig farms, 100% meat and exceed, I, you know, dare I say, Yanaseko even wrote the path for that. If they manage it right, I think it could be a, a really good thing for you know farmers ranchers for people for the environment all that kind of stuff it just seems like for me it just seems like it got pushed like hey let's do this and then now like you know january came out then it's all supposed to, was supposed to start and they had no didn't really seem like they had any idea of like actually how they were going to enforce it um 
you know, expecting, you know, the great bacon shortage is like, well, you can't sell that now. It's January 1st. And, you know, the, oh, then they said, what did they say there? The last thing I heard before they postponed all of it was like, well, oh no, it's only pigs that are, you know, it's starting for pigs that were born in 2022. Right. And that was like, when I heard that, I was like, <laughs> well, some <laughs> people see have how that works. That, that story, the, the rules are going to be that those um, sows have got to have at least 24 square feet, um, which but again, when you're working in a big, large pasture, like a lot of your suppliers, that's not an issue for them. But for the, yeah. a lot of the product that comes into, into California or come that's available most of the supermarkets, that it is going to become an, an issue of concern, yeah. I, I would imagine. I think, uh, yeah. So, I, you know, the way we do it in our shop, we're a small specialty butcher. Um, I, I, I totally agree because this is, this is the way I built my shop and this is the way I shop and this is the way I think it should be done. But I also see on a, on a bigger, bigger scale where, you know, the, the economics of it, uh, making, you know, really good meat affordable mm-hmm. is always a challenge because to do it the way we do it, we do it on such a small scale that it's, it's, it's not, unfortunately, it's not, you know, as readily available as I think it, it would be great if everyone, you know, if everything it's the same. Uh, I think we're talking about the same thing. Like when the, you know, the old argument that at the, if you go to the grocery store, that the, like the entire grocery store, the produce section should be organic. And then over here in the back corner should be the little section of like, uh, you know, GMO fortified, you know, pesticide cakes, vegetables or whatever in the one corner, but everything else is good. And, but it's the opposite, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's the little organic section. It would be really cool if that was like the meat, you know. So it is. So your, your, your meat, I would expect to be more, more costly than, uh, than going to the supermarket. Yeah. It just, just the nature of the, it it takes longer to raise, uh, uh, like to raise a cow, um, or a steer. Uh, it takes longer to raise that cow to market weight on grass than it would if we plugged it in a feedlot. Well, and then some people uh, talk about the true costs of the food, and then they say that some of the cost that doesn't show up in another kind of production system is the cost to the environment and to other kind of costs, uh, you know, humane handling and uh, lots of other issues. One other thing just on the cost, though. Sure. You know, uh, are you able to take a uh, snap? Uh, I just started my application today. <laughs> oh, see, see, the, the, that's interesting because for people, I mean, most people have heard of SNAP, but Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and the um, the U.S. government is spending seventy five, eighty billion dollars, I think, uh, and they've just increased it again. And there's some something like uh, a large percentage. Uh, a, a shockingly high percentage of the food sales in the country. I mean, 10, 15 percent or so are, are yeah. with SNAP. So if you can start, if you can start receiving SNAP, then people that might otherwise feel that they can't quite afford to be shopping with you can come in and 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 purchase with the SNAP program. Right, and 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 I think it's you know for for a long time, and I, I don't want to sound you know I it, it just it's just a weird like. You know, we're, we're, like I said, we're a small craft butchery. It's kind of high end. 
you know, all that stuff. But I think that stuff should be available to everyone. Yeah. And if this program can can introduce more people into that and and kind of, you know, allow them to to uh, you know enjoy that kind of meat and you know feed their family with that kind of stuff, I'm. Let's. I think that's a a win. You know. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I really appreciate talking to you about this whole range of issues. And, I, and, and uh, you know, we're fortunate to have, have a butcher like you here and also active in the community. And you're also supplying, I, I would imagine, some of the, uh, some of the other uh, chefs are still using some of your products, too. And, and in fact, you, yeah. one, uh, one program you've been involved with was, what do we call it, the, the Bacon Festival? or Yeah, the Bacon Fest. Yeah, the Bacon Fest. How did uh, tell us about that? Uh, I think that was like the first year we were open, and they just kind of called me, and they're like, "I think all we did was, I think the the ranch dropped all the pigs here because we were like really the only person that could hang pigs because all of our meats come in. We have rails in the cooler and stuff. Sure. And so all the all the chefs, all the competitors for Bacon Fest had to come to the shop to pick up their bacon." Or to the, to back then now well last couple of years it was just like you know bellies they would just give them bellies um, but the first several years that we were involved they'd give them a whole side of the pig and they had to you know make dishes with the with the entire animal and we were really the only place that <laughs> number one we did you know we could we could store it for them and then number two we were also you know with you know within reason we were, we could show these guys like you know they're like oh I can I can I can you know, I could break a pig, no problem. And then you're like, okay, well, do you have space to do that? And we offered space to do that. And then we, you know, kind of, it wasn't a formal instruction. Like, let me show you how to do that, boy, get out of the way. It was more just like, ah, what if you do it this way? And kind of, kind of, we're, we're able to kind of educate a little bit in there too. Um, Cause you know, I'll just as, as, you know, working as a chef for many years, we we're always like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And it's totally different, you know, from breaking a whole animal versus opening a box, you know? Yeah. But, well, I think it's, it's really impressive what you've, what you've got going here. And now people can come and shop at your store and you're making me hungry and reminding me mm -hmm. I need to come and, and buy some, some more product. Absolutely. But you, you really don't offer it to be shipped, do you? I mean, if somebody is out of state and they want you to send them some meat, you're not doing that, are you? No, it's, you know, we kind of, we kind of stick, we, we're kind of, a few reasons. One, we're kind of so small to the point where when we're doing whole animal, it doesn't, to, to build a program, like to send out, you know, like, oh, this is this month's box and here it all goes. We really don't have that much product on hand. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, you know, we kind of are, are focused on feeding our, our immediate community. Um, secondly, to ship out of state requires like way more uh, yeah. paperwork and all that stuff. And I don't like paperwork at all. Um, we do it for, uh, we're, we're licensed through, obviously through Sacramento County Health. Um, but then we, we're a, a state licensed uh, meat plant through uh, the CDFA and but that organization has been really great for us uh, as far as growth and, you know, making, sh you know, keeping us, I, I don't want to say keeping us honest. I want to say uh, just 
they've been a really good resource of like, hey, how's the best way to do this? Or what's the safest way to do this? Or the cleanest way to do this? And they've been very good about, you know, letting us know you can do that, but you can't do that. And unfortunately, California, you know, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, the, the, the food safety laws in California are, you know, bar none. And to, to be able to ship that across the state lines, it's just the, the, the mile of paperwork is just well, not going to happen. Um, there's all sorts of things that are coming up right now. And I think that there will be people around the country, around the world that are going to be rediscovering butcher shops, creating butcher shops. And, and I think that you're jumping in front of an issue too, that more and more people are concerned about the quality. They want to get things local, like you pointed out. And, and Eric, we appreciate the fact that you're doing that. If people, um, if somebody's listening and they they want to learn more about where they can find butcher shops, I mean, do they do they just you know go online and do searches and look for local butcher shops? What do you what do you do if somebody's outside of a region that you're too far away for them to come to, but they want to start you know trying out uh, going to a, finding a local butcher shop? What do you do? I mean, it, yeah, I think any, I mean, they're, uh, I won't say we're, we're not like, uh, we're not like, you know, craft coffee roasters or, or uh, craft beer houses that are just popping up left and right. Uh, because it is, you know, like everything we've talked about, honestly, like there's, you know, a, a lack of skilled butchers out there. There is a, you know, a lack of understanding and a, a lack of, uh, I think sometimes appreciation. And so these things that butcher shops like mine, um, I mean, I could rattle off several of them. Uh, California, we have quite a few. Um, Colorado's got a couple. Um, Arizona, just there's a guy in Arizona that just opened up one. Um, Massachusetts, where I trained. Um, has a couple butcher shops up there. New York obviously has a few, um, upstate, upstate New York. My friend Kevin McCann's got a really cool shop up there too. So they're, they're, they're on and around and about, you have to look for them and probably searching on the web for like local butcher and just see what it is. But that said, there's a lot of like, you know, local butchers that don't do it the way we do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can, you know, most of the like Simple Creek, if you go to like simplecreek.com, I think it is, they, you know, they will ship directly to you. Mm-hmm. So that's where like, if somebody's like, you know, in Minnesota or whatever, right. uh, once our meat shipped up, you know, we'll, we'll just send them to Simple Creek and Simple Creek will handle it. Um, you know, I'd love the business, but I can't deal with it. Um, so just find, you know, if you even find a ranch and, you know, a local grass-fed, grass-finished ranch or whatever, you know, however, where, wherever you want to um, set your parameters and just start looking. And there's, I mean, there's ranches all over the place. Yeah. And these guys are, are really great. They really care for what they're doing and, and it shows and it tastes like it. I you know, you started, this, you started this by saying it's not necessarily like the craft breweries or the coffee shops, <laughs> but maybe it will be someday. I mean, I remember a time when we didn't have craft breweries and we didn't have as many coffee shops. And now we've got great local, we've got more good local bakeries, uh, butcher yeah. shops like yours. I think that there's some places I know that have some great cheese shops uh, and um, be nice yeah. to see more of that in communities all over. 
I think I, I think you're right, and I think you know I I, I know from uh, I think it was Danny at Taylor's that was telling me like 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, there was like I think there were six butchers like in East Sacramento alone. You know, they were just like boom, 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 all over the place. And it just the the grocery store, the industrial food revolution just kind of ate them all, ate us all up, you know. Um, but now that like you you see like the 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 bakeries open, like Faria just opened a couple of years ago, and like these small craft local that's where people are buying their bread. Yeah. And you know, they they go to, you know. Uh, the chocolate shop or the patisserie or you know wherever it might be whatever product because those guys specialize in that and i think people are are kind of i think people are kind of tired of eating crappy food you know and you can't like even a lot of restaurants like have really stepped up their game over the last several years um and serving, you know, service quality and the quality of food and the, and the quality of ingredients that they're using is just really elevated, especially in Sacramento, because I think people are, are, can see through like, you know, mediocre food. And, you know, for, for me in particular, like I have, I have five kids (laughs) and a butcher shop and my time to go out to restaurants is very uh is scarce like i don't get to sneak out and go you know to to go find dining and as much as i'd really like to uh but so you kind of got to pick and choose your spots and if you pick and choose a spot and you go and you're like oh we, you know we you know we got this hour and a half window with no kids and you go and it's you know not cheap and the food's like mediocre like that's heartbreaking yeah. you know yeah so you just you just pick your spots and we've been uh you know i'm a notorious creature of habit so i just have like four restaurants that i hit and because i know that's you know it's going to be good well we're not going to get you to do a commercial for all of them right now but we (laughs) we'll we'll find out afterwards i probably agree with you on on the, the top four hey Eric, it's really nice talking to you. Appreciate what you're doing. We're glad that you have a butcher shop. And I hope we've had some listeners here that are going to frequent your butcher shop, let alone other butcher shops, or maybe become butchers themselves. So thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. My pleasure. Thank you very much for your time, Roger. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 